You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1, O-U-T-D-O-O-R, and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether, and Fully Loaded Chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. All right, y'all, here's the deal. Go Wild has partnered with us here at Southern Ground Hunting to make life a whole lot easier for you guys. So I get a lot of questions um, on social media, uh, on YouTube, and things like that about the gear that I use. We are extremely excited to announce that we're going to be working with Go Wild to make it easy for you to see a complete list of the gear that we use here at Southern Ground Hunting. So all you have to do is you have to go download Go Wild. It's a free social media app. Um, and it's a community for hunters where I have put together a list of all of the gear that I use. All you have to do is look up Parker McDonald once you create your account. Go Wild is also just a fun place to hang out and chat with other hunters, other outdoorsmen. You can find tips and you can actually buy all of this gear through Go Wild. And actually you can get a, a 10% discount if you use the code all lowercase, all one word, Southern Ground when you purchase there at Go Wild. So join me hundreds of thousands of other hunters on go wild the download link is in the show notes and you can find it there again that's all lowercase all one word southern ground and that will save you 10 percent off of your gear purchases on the go wild hunting app the southern ground hunting podcast is brought to you by spartan forge it's forged in combat and tailored for hunters Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly intuitive and science-based products that save the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You can start your free 14-day trial today by visiting SpartanForge.ai and you can use the code SOUTHERNGROUND, that's all lowercase, all one word, SOUTHERNGROUND at checkout. 
That'll get you 25% off of your purchase. You're wanting to know more about saddle hunting? Well, check out tetherednation.com for all your saddle hunting needs. Tethered is for saddle hunters, by saddle hunters, and they're redefining ultralight hunting. If you'd like to support the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast, you can visit patreon.com forward slash southern ground hunting, or you can click on the link in the show notes of this podcast episode. We offer two different tiers for our patrons that offer a solid list of benefits. We'd love for you to join the Southern Ground Hunting community today. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash southern ground hunting. And now, let's get to the show. All right, with us today, we have got special guests from South, South, South Florida. We've got uh, Mark and Danny from Swamp, Swamp and Stomp, not Swamp and Stomp, it's Swamp and Stomp, right? Do you have to put a little twang on it at the end? That's correct. correct. Swamp and Stomp. Stomp. Yeah. It's S-T-O-M-P-N-S-T-A-W-M-P. That's that's how you pronounce it, right? Stomp. Yeah, that is correct. That's right. Stomp and stomp. <laughs> so, so you guys are like, y'all are like in the heat of the rut. Is that right? If, am I wrong? Or is it past the rut or not the rut yet? Like y'all are pretty close to it where y'all are at. I mean, that's hard to, it's hard to say yes or no to that. It depends where in the state you are. If you're down in, in South Florida, yeah, we're in the heat of the rut. Um, we just had opening weekend, what, two weeks ago? And the rut was going on hard, and there's going to be some cool content coming out showing that. That's crazy. Um, it's crazy to me to think that, I mean, y'all live in a place where the rut is going on beginning of August, late January, or, uh, late July. I had a guy on last year that hunts around, like, Big Cypress area and, uh, like, the that unit. I had him on Local Legends series and he was like oh yeah these bucks are already chasing does i'm like what in the world i was sitting at a condo in daytona beach and this dude's this dude's getting ready to start killing deer and so i was telling y'all before we started recording it's just so crazy to me to think that y'all are like in the heat of the rut there in a lot of the places where i hunt the rut's not even until like february and so your bucks are probably still in velvet yeah oh yeah our you know bucks are definitely in velvet still you know, in, in our season, it's not even surprising to, during the rut, have a fawn walk by, a spotted fawn at that. You know, it's it's kind of crazy where you have a rut going on across the street, and then right on the other side, you have fawns walking around that just dropped a couple days ago. So, so y'all so have, fawns. potentially, y'all could kill deer that are in the rut through your whole season, pretty much, and that if you have fawns still yeah. dropping you know, in a normal, at a normal time frame, it, y'all could really, you got deer that are pretty much rutting all season long. Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. We, we, uh, you know, we move throughout the state quite a bit and, and even at the end of the season, you know, we go up, uh, North, you know, there's definitely still rut going on over there, but, but even down South, but yeah, the deer could, a doe could, you know, be hot at any time and, and then kick off another little rut. Um, so it's not like up north where you get like one big rut, you know, it's, it's kind of just like little, little peaks here and there whenever, you know, a few does, um, come into estrus. So, well, uh, yeah, a lot of great. guys are probably listening to it and being like, Oh, that sounds like a dream. You know, that sounds awesome. But when you really consider, I mean, there's a reason why people aren't buying out of state licenses to go and hunt South Florida in August and, you know, 
the deer density down there is just significantly lower, I think, than everywhere else. So even though your deer are in the rut, that doesn't really necessarily mean you're going to have like crazy sits where you're seeing a, a hot doe walk by and you have six or seven, eight bucks walk by that evening. That might be every once in a while, but it's not. I'm going to go on a limb and say that's not typical. It's not typical, yeah. but it happens. Yeah, it, it does happen. There's areas in Florida that are that have really high deer densities, and then there's areas where there's a lot less. And and I actually, I was talking to a buddy about this. I think that because we always have uh, a lot of green, you know, it, it, the plants never really die. We don't have that winter, so there's always a lot of brush. And and I kind of wonder if uh, a lot of the places that we think have low deer densities, if they actually have higher deer densities than we think, we just can never really see that far to know. Yeah. yeah. Well, you so. guys are also, y'all are, um, I mean, I've watched some of your videos. I've, I've heard you guys on another podcast uh, on Chasing Tales. Y'all know what y'all are doing. Y'all know how to hunt the areas that y'all are in. And so it does, you know, other people might be seeing no deer. It might be the typical hunter in South Florida is probably not seeing the amount of deer that, guys like y'all are seeing just because they're not as devoted to it it's not like they're you know their thing where you guys i know y'all are spending i've because i've seen it on instagram i know y'all are spending days out long hours hot hours trudging through the swamps all summer long and in doing that postseason scouting thing which really seems to play off would you say that you guys are kind of like uh and and maybe this is a a better question for danny just because he's been doing it for a lot longer, would you say that the way that you guys hunt is not typical for most hunters in that area? Actually, uh, I, I would say that's kind of true. You know, there is a lot of, there are, there are some hardcore hunters here in our, in our Florida hunting group, but, um, I mean, we definitely put in a whole lot of hours and if you don't, if you don't go into hunting Florida with a mentality of doing your homework, you know, and, and you got to bite the bullet, you know, it's, it's hot out there. You got to make sure you bring water and heat stroke is, is a serious deal down here. You know, when you have a hundred percent humidity and you know, your, your heat index is 109, 110 degrees, you, you can really run into some trouble really quick. So it's easy to get discouraged and not put in the time. But um, I mean, we've been doing it so long. It's like, like we we're born it. into the fire kind of thing you know <laughs> yeah, yeah we we you know we uh we go hard and and it, it pays off you know i have a lot of buddies that wanted to get into hunting and as soon as they see what we do we're like wait no. <laughs> no, right doing it. like for example we have a new friend well we've been he's been hunting with us for three years and when he started hunting with us like we kind of put him through the ringer to see if he was about it and he's still here you know he's still yeah. He still sticks it out. That's awesome. <laughs> but, know I'm talking about him when he hears this. <laughs> but I mean, I would also say like, we've had a, a number of people ask us to like show them the ropes and, and try and hunt with us. And they just kind of fizzle out, you know, that it's, it's not for everybody. And, and another thing to think about is when you're, when you're in Florida in the heat of summer, it's a hundred degrees out. What would you rather be doing? You know, or what would most people rather be doing sitting on the beach, drinking a beer or, you know, wandering around the woods, sweating their asses off, you know? And so it, it's not for everybody, but we just, 
love the challenge of it. And yeah. uh, I, I I can't picture myself just sitting on the beach every weekend, you know, hanging out, swimming and stuff. I'd rather be out there just like putting myself to the test and, and really just seeing how far I can go. And, and I mean, we, we really do. <laughs> so Mark, you've, you've been doing it for, uh, not as long. What did you say? Did you say seven or eight years, something like that? I think six or I think this might be my seventh season that I'm going into now. So it's your seventh season and going out there, sweating your nuts off, um, in the midst of a lot of different animals and wildlife that want to kill you and eat you for dinner. <laughs> um, what was it like? What was it about this style of hunting that made you want to keep doing it? Um, honestly, I'm, I'm just the kind of person that, uh, I love a good challenge and, and growing up, um, you know, I used to spend a lot of time in Florida, uh, doing a lot of fishing and, and I love fishing, but over time I kind of got to the point where I felt like fishing wasn't enough of a challenge anymore. And then when I found hunting, I was like, Oh my God, this is, this is tough. And and I really didn't have any resources to help me figure it out. And that I'm just the kind of person that like, when you tell me I can't do something, I just want to do it even more. Um, and the first few years were, I mean, I, I didn't kill a buck for a while. You know, I didn't even see a deer the first year. Um, I wasn't even sure they existed in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, I saw the tracks, so I knew they were there. But but yeah, I just started doing it. And you know, and then when I, I feel like around the time that me and Danny started hunting together, I was really starting to figure it out. Like I was, I was really starting to get a lot of pictures of bucks on camera. I hadn't quite figured out how to get on them yet. Um, and then, you know, getting together with Danny, like being able to sort of run my ideas past him, like, well, I want to try this. And then he's like, oh yeah, you know, that, that could work. Try that. Um, you know, then I, I feel like I really started figuring it out and, and we really work together a lot. Like we, you know, we throw ideas at each other, things to try. We try and do things differently than most hunters do them. Um, and yeah, it just, you know, eventually started sort of falling into place. And, and once I got to that point, then it was like, well, I really struggled to get here. So, you know, it would be awesome if we could, we had talked about making a YouTube channel and we were like, you know, we should make a YouTube channel. And for me, the biggest motivation was that I wanted to create a resource for people just like me that don't have somebody to teach them, you know, so that you could just look up our, our videos and just go, how do I hunt in Florida? You know, and, and we've got videos on it. We tell you how to scout, we tell you what to do. And I mean, just the other day, we, we've got this follower that literally follows our videos to the T and uh, last year he killed a really nice buck. It was his first buck ever first season hunting killed a stud and then this year he did it again you know <laughs> so you know it's just awesome to see when when people take the the information we put out there and and put it to work and it and it works for them that's just i mean that just makes you want to keep doing it yeah you know? for sure I, I understand that completely it's uh there's not a greater feeling than somebody saying reaching out to you or making a post or something like that it says Thanks to shout out to this person. They really helped me understand this. I mean, that's a, that's a great feeling. Um, yeah. and it, and it's a progression to get there for creators because as a creator, you do, you do have a little bit of pressure to perform. Um, when you're, when you're saying, Hey, watch me, 
buy into this, buy into my hunting style, learn from me. Like there is a pressure there that you've got to, you, you oh, yeah. have to perform. And, uh, and, and we all feel that. I think, I think every creator I know feels that, that same mm-hmm. way, but, um, yeah. Danny, I want to know, um, after doing this for a while and, and as we do this, as we go into this episode, I really do have questions that are going to be aimed at, at both of you based on our conversation. Um, but Danny, just to kind of get the ball rolling as far as like hunting style, what would you say when you, when you go into a place where you're hunting the rut in August, um, what are some of the, what's like some of the main things that you're doing that you feel like adds to that success? You guys are undeniably successful, like for sure. Y'all are, y'all are doing a good job and you, you have an understanding of this. So I, I want to kind of break that down. What what are, I guess maybe to start out, what's one of the things that you think really goes into separating y'all from um, the average hunter in South Florida? So for me, what I, what I generally look for is, um, you know, I mean, pinch points can, it sounds so like, you know, anything can be a pinch point here in South Florida, but I typically look for stuff that's like um, pretty much the deer have one option. You know, they're going through here, whether it be like a a big old pond on one side and, and some, some of these things work in some areas and other, they won't work the same in other places. Like for example, if you go to Southwest Florida, the deers hang out in ponds, you know, where you're going to find the most of the bucks are in the ponds. Whereas if like you literally their Florida, head, their head sticking yeah. out of the water and nothing else. Yeah, exactly. That, that will be like, if, if you watch my, uh, my uh, bruiser video that year and like maybe 20 minutes before I shot him, he was bedded down in two feet of water. His head was sticking out and, and he was in the water. So in that particular area, that's what they do. Now, if you go a little further North to North Florida, that's different. You know, they're not hanging out in ponds because now they're dealing with other things that could be in those ponds. It's probably going to take them out. So each area that we hunt is a little bit different. Um, like in South and some of the uh, South Florida, not totally South, but, you know, a little closer to central, you know, I'm looking for um, transition areas where the vegetation changes any, any kind of like, um, areas where I'm getting a lot of traffic and during the rut, if you have a lot of does, at least here from what we've seen, if you have a lot of does in a certain area, there's going to be a buck cruising those spots pretty regularly. So those are some of the things that I'm looking for. Yeah. Mark, how about you? Is there, is there anything that I'd imagine y'all have a few differences in your hunting style? Are there anything different um, that you're doing from what Danny does? Yeah. You know, we, there's a lot of similarities in the way that we hunt and we, we plan together a lot when we scout, but what I've been learning over time is that a lot of the stuff that people talk about in like the Midwest and, and Northern parts of the country, uh, they still apply here, but it's just, it's, it's different. So when you go looking for the things that they tell you to go look for, you're not going to find them. Um, you know, like Danny said, we look for transition areas. We look for places where the, the vegetation type is is shifting from like a tree, you know, like a tree stand to uh, like a prairie or a pond or something like that. And, you know, deer are creatures of the edge. They like walking those edges. So a lot of times you'll find trails there. And, um, you know, starting out when, when we start scouting, um, we look for an area 
well, I, I'm going to say I, because we both do things a little differently, but I look for an area where I can clearly see on the map that there are like several different habitat types in the same area. Um, and then that's a, a starting point. So I'll go over there, you know, a lot of times I'm looking uh, on the map to see if there's like some sort of a pinch point, you know, like, like he said, if there's like two ponds that are right next to each other, where there's like a little gap between them, that could be a pinch point. Deer are usually going to be walking the path of least resistance, as long as that path is not dangerous. Um, and so if you can find that path of least resistance, there's a good chance you're going to find a lot of tracks there. So, so we go out there and we, we look for that. And I mean, starts with tracks, find a bunch of tracks. And then after I find a bunch of tracks, then I look at the map and I'm like, all right, what else is around here? Like what, what could they be using? And then it's like, all right, well, there's a bunch of oaks over here. So they're probably eating on these acorns and there's, you know, cocoa plums and palmetto berries or whatever. Um, and once you start, you know, putting all that on a map later, you look at it and you're like, wow, this spot has all of the things that a deer could possibly want in this, you know, half a mile radius area. Like this is definitely gonna be an area that the deer are going to be using. You put out a camera at the best pinch point you can find where there's the most tracks and then you see what's there yeah and one thing i think that both me and danny have learned uh i think in more recent years is like you put out the cameras you see what's there that doesn't mean you have to hunt right there um you know a lot of times like put out a camera and you get a really nice buck on camera but he shows up like maybe like once every two weeks it's like that buck's around he's not he's not hanging out right there where that camera is, but he's nearby. So when, when you're like, all right, I want, you know, I want to try and figure out if this deer's hanging out near here, you go during your hunt, you find the spot that has the hottest sign set up on it. And there's a good chance that he's probably hanging out there too. You know, they like being with each other. So if you find other deer. That's a big deal. Um, just, just thinking through trail camera strategies, a lot of the trail camera strategies that I've heard guys talk about, on this podcast and just in, in general conversation is very similar. It's hard to um, say that, oh, there's not a big buck in the area because he didn't walk by this 20-foot section of land. Yeah. You know, yeah. if everything lines up, if you've got the sign in the area, if you've got the food in the area and you're in the right, you know, you, you pay attention to that terrain like you're talking about terrain, vegetation, transition lines, all the things coming together, there's a good likelihood that there's still maybe deer uh, and maybe a good deer, a good buck coming through there somewhere, just not right there in that 20-foot section that your camera can actually see. Yeah. You know? well, one um, thing that drives me crazy, too, is when people are like, like, oh, I'm only getting nighttime pictures, so it's not even worth hunting this spot. And it's like, well, do you think deer just – vanish during the day like no they still exist they're somewhere you just got to yeah, go figure yeah. out where they are during the day yeah you know and yeah. it's not going to be that far away from if you're getting them at night a lot it's not going to be that far away from where your camera is you just got to figure it out tell me about the the, the habitat of what y'all y'all are hunting down there in florida so just to give people type of uh, some type of visual visual i guess if uh if if you're um thinking south florida here's what i think of immediately when i think south florida um i'm a big fan of dexter the hbo series where he was in miami and uh there's a couple episodes where they're supposedly out in the everglades and it's just swamps there's gators everywhere 
Um, there's a bunch of trees, you know, but then I've seen a lot of pictures come out of South Florida that seem like it's more like orange groves, a lot of like prairie looking type land. Um, you know, a lot of the, the real life hunting, like somebody posing with their deer that they, they killed and it does not look anything like I imagine South Florida. So yeah, there's there's all sorts of kind of crazy habitat. You can go from oak hammocks that are high and dry and they have palmettos all up in them and stuff and it's completely dry. You can go in there with sandals and you won't you won't wet your socks if huh. you wear sandals with socks. <laughs> and then <laughs> like you, uh, if you're a dad if you're a dad slides. Maybe. Slides, not nothing. Yeah. Yeah, like you going or, in there with your you know, dad you, gear? Yeah. <laughs> or you can be like in somewhere that's you know hundred percent sawgrass. So we have, we have a very diverse, um, habitat down here in South Florida. You, you know, there's, there's all kinds of, especially down, down South, you know, you have your, um, Cypress heads and you have some places that are just straight up palmettos, you know, 10 minutes from my house, I have an area that's like all palmettos and, and that's high and dry for the most part. And then you'll have your like flag ponds and stuff. So it's, it's very, it's a very diverse um, area to hunt. If you wanted to stay in in the dry stuff, you can, you know. Now there are management areas that only offer wet places, like like for example the Everglades. You know, if you're going to hunt the Everglades and ninety percent of it is going to be wet, you will have some tree islands and um, they're far and few in between. But those deers are used to being wet. I mean, they're borderline getting wet feet. Yeah, I mean, it, even those tree islands usually during during the time that we're hunting, there's water in them, um, yeah. just like a couple inches. But you know, w- one thing that's really cool about Florida is because we don't have any elevation. You know, when Danny says high and dry in Florida, that means six inches higher than the other spot that's soaking wet. <laughs> you know, yeah, um, we have a tremendous amount of diversity, like changes in habitat types based on just inches of elevation which is really uh i mean it's it's really cool honestly and and because of that uh you know you see very different habitats really close together and and for a lot of people that makes it really difficult to pick out like well which spot's the best spot because you say go find a spot that has a bunch of different habitat types but every spot i look at on the map has a bunch of different habitat types you know and and that's true. And unfortunately, you just got to put your boots on the ground and go check them out and figure out which ones are holding deer. Because most of the time, the deer like certain spots and not other spots. Mm-hmm. And, and once you find them, especially in the areas where their densities are like more uh, sparse, when you find deer, you find, you know, a lot of them. And but if you if you walk anywhere else, you won't find any sign. So, so, so you're saying yeah, y'all's always... deer typically are in pockets. You, you'll have oh, yeah. an area that's just void of deer, and then all of a sudden, and that makes sense to me. I, when I hunted Ocala National Forest, um, it was that was very accurate, like almost too accurate, in that you'd walk somewhere. I mean, and you'd sit there and not see a single deer, not even see sign of a deer, and. Yep. And then you'd find a spot that's just like a couple God, hundred th- yards th- away. This is more deer <laughs> yeah. than I see in Alabama. You know, it was, it was yeah. crazy. Yeah. Even like 50 yards over and you were not on the side, mm-hmm. you know, you go 50 yards in the other direction and, and it's all over the place. 
you know I mean, I've, I've hunted places that it's straight up sawgrass you know and and done very very well in it and then i've gone other places that you'd be like this is a a deer's heaven this is exactly where they want to be and didn't see a deer in sight you yeah. know <laughs> so it's just it's it's like that mark do you have a do you have a preference for habitat type that you like to hunt uh it really depends like what it really depends on which area we're hunting um you know like danny said some wmas that we hunt they like doing certain things and it, and then you go to another one and you won't find deer doing the same thing at all so um it, it you know obviously my favorite habitat is the habitat where the deer are um right. but uh if i if i have to choose like if if the deer were the same density everywhere in florida and i picked one out of just comfort i really like getting really high up in a in a pine tree on a like a palmetto flat uh where i can see a mile and uh you know if you can find a spot where it's shady and you get a nice breeze because those palmetto flats are wide open and when there's a breeze and it's 95 degrees out and that breeze hits you it's just like the most wonderful feeling in the world <laughs> and and i can't wait I can't wait for, I think next weekend we're going to be doing exactly that. So have you, uh, had, that, have you had more success in those Palmetto flats like that than anywhere else? Um, I'd say so. I think probably we kill, I think we kill more deer hanging out in pine trees than we do in anything else. You know, it's, right? what do you think? It, it's, it's, it's weird because those Palmetto flats are like deceivingly thick uh, walking through <laughs> yeah. them. When you're walking or driving by them on the highway or whatever, and you pass one, you're like, man, that's wide open. Ain't no reason a deer would be in there. And then when you actually hunt it and you see a deer in there and like you're, it, all you can see is their little bitty head just yeah. kind of pop up every once in a while. Like it's on their level. It's pretty thick. Or you don't even see them and you just hear them. Yeah. Because I mean, that stuff is as tall as they are. If they put their head down, they're gone. Mm -hmm. That's exactly you know? right. That's right. Um. Yeah. And I mean, people always ask us about it because they see our videos and they're like, you guys are just hunting in the middle of nothing with no cover <laughs> skyline like crazy. How are you killing yeah. deer? It's like, well, you know, deer don't really look as high as we climb because we, yeah. we get way up there. Yeah. Um, we're usually sitting like 30 feet up in the air I mean, with archery, maybe a little lower, but with a gun. Yeah, we're up there. Are y'all using, are you using climbers, uh, saddles, lock-ons? What are y'all doing we're all about the saddle life these days okay yeah I, I i like it almost makes me mad to think that there are people in south florida heat using a climber like carrying a, a summit <laughs> like it makes me mad Brutal. to think that they're so prideful <laughs> that they, Dude, that i grew up hunting climber. i grew up hunting out of a um uh, the tree lounger boy no what was that uh Man, it just slipped my mind. Um, Old man? Tree lounge. Tree lounge. I had the original tree lounge. That thing had to weigh like 80 pounds. It was all aluminum, <laughs> but it was a lot of aluminum. Yeah. That's a lot of <laughs> It cocaine. was the most comfortable thing you've ever sat in, but man, it weighed. And it clacked the whole way there. <laughs> Golly, I don't miss those days. Yeah, it yeah. just makes sense for guys in, in that type of climate to to switch to a saddle you know oh, i mean sure even even yeah. if now i'm 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 incredibly comfortable in a saddle like more comfortable than i ever was in a, in a tree stand any climber uh for me it's it's the it's the stuff i, I love it 
Um, but even if it were less comfortable than a climber, it down there, man, it's almost worth it. Like I'll be a little less comfortable just <laughs> just to not have to carry in one of those big climbers. You disagree? I can tell by your face I'm, you're disagreeing. I'm gonna disagree, but but only because you said even if it's not as comfortable. And and we've harped on this before. When you're hunting in Florida, being comfortable is one of the most important things because the fact of the matter is our days are insanely long, you know, and, and if you want to sit all day sits like we do a lot of times during, you know, during the opening weekends and during the rut, uh, that means you're in your tree for like 12 hours. It's insane. Yeah. Uh, and so comfort is key. Um, and but with that said, I can't think of any reason why anybody wouldn't be able to find comfort in a saddle you just have to take your time to you know get it dialed in and yeah. figure out how you like it it's so adjustable um you know i i'm far more comfortable in my saddle uh and me and danny when we switched to saddle hunting we were like yeah we're gonna keep our climbers because you know sometimes we're still gonna use them i haven't used my climber once i don't think danny yeah. has either you know I just lend it out i let my yeah, dad use it when my people friends use it when people want to hunt with us, we're like, yeah, you can take my climber. Like it's still hanging in my garage, but I haven't touched it, you know? And, um, yeah, I, yeah. I did use it as a, uh, as a, a game cart a couple of times. Cause I have this like wheel system that I attach oh, yeah. to it. So I'll bring it, I'll bring it with me just so I can, you know, use it to get a deer out. But yeah, my, my climbers basically just become a game cart at this point. <laughs> That's so cool, man. I, I love, and I remember, uh, seeing when you guys started with the the trophy line is it trophy line y'all are using trophy line stuff right we were using arrow hunter now we're using uh, tether okay so y'all are using tethered stuff now y'all were using yeah. arrow hunter that's what it was and i was like and you could see like the the mindset change i love watching watching people shift to the uh the saddle live man i was just like why haven't i been doing this forever you know it's yeah. uh, we had, we had talked about doing it for a long time too and then finally we just like made it happen yeah and the first did. time the first time we hunted in our saddles it was a, a fantastic hunt yeah um yeah. you know and i mean we were hooked it's just never looked back yeah i mean and it gear does it like i'm not a gear snob i'm not a gearhead. like i want to use something that works for me i want to develop a system that works for me and i think perhaps even more important than here down there developing that system is is everything otherwise you could be setting yourself up for a very very like you're going to be south florida hunting in a lot of ways i would think is type two fun no matter what way you want to look at it where a lot of it's just miserable 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 and then you look back <laughs> on it and you're like oh man that was fun uh, the mosquitoes I mean, keep if, you company yeah <laughs> think, about, think about it like this if you have an experience that is just like comfortable and fun in 20 years you're not going to remember it yeah, but if it was like just something crazy and miserable, and remember that time that we did, you know, we went out there and it was a hundred degrees and we sat all day and we didn't see nothing, and then that giant came out and we shot him. Like that's a story you're gonna tell for the rest of your right. life. Right? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly it, right. So I think it's, it's I think it's important, you know, to have that system to make that type two fun even a little more bearable, you know, because you're gonna be really yeah. pissed off. If you didn't practice your setup all system or your setup all off season, you don't have any system and you're just sweating your junk off trying to get up into a tree. And that I think that's when people give up on things and 
it's that frustrating aspect of it. There are there are uncontrollables like mosquitoes, uh, heat. You know, some places it's wind and cold. Um, but there are things that you can do to make your system a little bit better. And I think the saddle is uh, is one of those things, man. That's just it, it. It takes that part of your hunt experience and just makes it a little bit easier, a little more bearable. Um, so so we talked a little bit about palmettos and and i think for a lot of people that's uh that's a, a pretty self-explanatory thing i would i would uh say that a palmetto flat in south florida or florida i mean i hunted them in central florida um would be comparable to a clear cut here um in alabama where you can see a long ways but i would say a clear cut probably has more uh, it's it's more of a food source than a palmetto flat. Um, so, so what we found is uh, when we ended up hunting Kentucky, um, there was there was these fields that they were just full of briars and they were on the edge of like dove fields and stuff. Yeah, no, exactly. So what you're talking. We called them they CRP. We called they them CRP horrible. fields. It yeah, was terrible. So the deers were like all up inside those fields, and unless you had some sort of elevation, you really wouldn't see them. You'd see the top of their heads or their backs. But they move through there very easily. Now, if you have like a palmetto field here, it's very similar to that because if if you don't have very open trails, I mean, you're making loads of noise going through there and you can't see very far at all. And not to mention that it's pretty miserable because those palmetto um, branches, they will cut you up. And, and the freaking and the root system there, the yeah. root systems are dumb, man. Like yeah, I thought I was just going like, to walk through. I thought I was going to yeah. sneak in there and just get in there and you're like tripping over everything, trying to get out. Yep. It's ridiculous. So I would compare it to those fields that we were seeing in Kentucky. Now I will tell you, I'll take our palmetto flats over those briars any day. <laughs> those and briars, day, those, those briars were the worst. Were nothing to mess with, man. <laughs> Mark oh, had man. an experience with some chiggers that he oh, my God. traumatized them till today. Bro. I am, a, them, I am like, a believer in permethrin now, let me tell you. Kentucky because, will do that to you. When oh, when we're in man. Florida, like we don't really deal with uh, ticks and chiggers. I mean, they're here, but like you don't really experience it very often. But we went out and scouted uh, in in Kentucky in August, and I was like, yeah, whatever, ticks, chiggers, uh, people are whiny, and I, I didn't notice <laughs> anything of it until I got home. <laughs> like I started noticing it on the plane back. So we were scouting the morning, like that we got on the plane. And my entire body, like anywhere that there was like an edge of a piece of clothing around my belt, around my ankles, my like sleeves, anywhere, <laughs> there was like hundreds and hundreds of these little red bumps. And it lasted for like two or three weeks. Yeah. It finally went away like a week before we actually went back to hunt it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I'll take my Palmetto Flats over that any day. <laughs> Dude, I, I can tell you, and I won't bore listeners with, it, stories about Kentucky because I've cried about it enough, but I am with you, man. Kentucky will make a man out of you. Uh, it like it like if you didn't know. All right, so this is a little crude, maybe, but if you didn't know that you had a ball sack, the ticks in Kentucky will remind will remind you that it's there because yeah. they're going to be scratching it because they're going to be sucking Dude. the life out of it. It's like oh my god, it Kentucky is miserable in the early season, but. I love what you're talking about there, Danny, because I think it's I think it's valuable information 
for people anywhere. I compare, um, you know, down uh, up up north. Uh, I just got back from North Dakota last week, um, doing a scouting trip and setting up some stuff for a hunt uh, here in a couple okay. of weeks. And they have uh, cattail marshes. So actually, by the time okay. by the time this podcast airs, I'll either I might be I'll probably be hunting in South Dakota at that time um, or North Dakota. But they have these cattail marshes, and if you watch Dan and Fault um, at all hunting around the, those northern states, he talks a lot about those cattail marshes, yeah. and and they don't look like much. Like they're pretty, they're not tall. You know, it's it's when you look at it from the highway, it looks just like a big field, similar to what you're talking about in Kentucky, similar to what I'm talking about with clear cuts. Um, or like a, a an old clear cut with young pines in it is kind of that way. Right. I think every region has something that you is comparable in that way. Um, yeah, are, like it's it's not it doesn't look tall and it all looks flat, but then when you walk into it, you disappear. You disappear, and those deer are living there. And, oh yeah, they uh, love it. Uh, I can remember being out um, at Ocala, and uh, all of a sudden, this doe. I'd been sitting there all day, and all of a sudden, this doe just stands up in that palmetto, and I'm like, <laughs> I really thought that I could see an ant walking on the ground in those palmettos, but like, you couldn't see nothing. You you really couldn't yeah. see anything. It was all you couldn't see what was going on under the surface, and so I think that's a that's a really cool talking point. You know, it, we don't even have to talk about it anymore, but I think it's so cool that you guys kind of use that comparison of Kentucky with those, uh, if what I'm thinking of, it has like little sycamore saplings in it, uh, tall grass, briars, and it's always right oh, on the beautiful. edge of the fields. Yeah. And there's a lot it, of wildflowers. Like, like I want to walk through that. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a lot of wildflowers mixed in and they're yeah. out there munching on it and stuff, yeah. but we can hopefully soon we'll be able to do one even better. Cause we're, we're actually heading over to Dan Infolt stomping grounds for our out of state hunt this year. We're heading up to Wisconsin. Okay. So we're going to be, we're going to be hunting a lot of those marshes, all that CRP stuff and, and all the cattails. Uh, I've been there once before and I kind of felt like I had unfinished business. So we're heading back up. Uh, this will be Danny's first time there, but that place has some giant bucks, and I mean, we're super excited to get out there. So hopefully soon we'll be able to compare, uh, you know, the the Wisconsin swamps to the Florida swamps because I'm willing to bet that there's there's probably a lot of similarities, and then a lot of things that are really different too. So oh, for sure, for sure. That's we, like we were talking to. Cool uh, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say it's just such a cool thing about going out of state is like exploring those different habitats and then using what you know from your home state and like you know, figuring out what's different and what's the same and finding what's the same is actually, uh, I, I feel like that's one way that you can actually find success in some place that you've never been. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Well, you know, um, uh, we were talking to uh, the, the guy on the property, a guy that, that owns the property that we're hunting in North Dakota. And it was really interesting. He said something in, in his Northern accent. He was like, uh, he's like, you see that over there, those big old bucks, man, they just, they just get huge in that swamp over there. And I was just like, what swamp? Like our, what we talk about when we say swamp is totally different from what the Northern guys talk about yeah. when they say swamp. When he says swamp, he's pointing at a, a big, huge cattail marsh that looks just like an extension of the field. It looks the exact same. And he's yeah. like, man, these big old bucks, they just get they just get old in there, man. And it's just like, 
how? I mean, I feel like if they stood up right now, I'd be able to see them. Um, yeah. But it's just deceiving. I, I, it is deceiving, and yeah. uh, I think you're right, Mark, talking about you know finding those parallels in in different regions and different states. It uh, I, I found that with Kentucky, I was so caught up on hunting farm and ag land in Kentucky because I didn't have that back home. But what I found was when I when I was able to venture out to another part of the state that had more terrain and big woods and found the parallels there to what I hunt back home, my success rate just went way up because I know how to hunt that, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and I think you can do that anywhere. And it's a, it's a great tactic, a great tactic to use. So I guess what I was kind of getting at talking about those um, different habitat types I'm interested to know what kind of food sources um, or lack thereof that y'all are that y'all are really trying to key in on in South Florida. So I think uh, I'll let Mark start on this one. Yeah, um, you know, the, the food sources in Florida are are kind of sparse. Well, I, I don't want to say they're sparse, but they're just spread out. And, um, you know, up north, you, you watch a lot of the media that, that people are putting out about hunting up north. You know, it's like, oh, we're we're down in this little bedding area and there's a cornfield over here. You know, it's like, well, we're in Florida. We ain't, we don't have cornfields. We don't we don't really have any crops. So there's not really a lot of like these really large food sources that can sustain like a huge population of deer. The closest thing that we really have to that is people putting out feeders on their private land. But even that is is minuscule in comparison to like a crop field, you know. Um, and because of that, the deer are just browsing the entire time. They're just wandering around eating literally everything. Uh, and, and of course there are foods that they prefer, but they will pretty much eat anywhere. And, and if, if they have to be in an area where they feel safe, uh, and there's not quite as much food as a place where there is a lot of food and, and they don't feel safe, they're probably going to be in the place where they stay safe. Cause you know what? You can't have a meal tomorrow if you die today. Yeah. Um, so they, you know, and, um, but so food sources are not like, if you, if you listen to the podcast we did with chasing tails, you you'll hear me say that I don't really care about food sources in Florida. That has changed a little bit. I do pay attention to them now. Uh, but it's definitely not a top priority. It's like, at first, I'm looking for those pinch points. I'm looking for the the um, the sign that deer are actually hanging out there. And once I have that sign, then I start thinking like, all right, well, what food sources are around here? You know, and 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 I don't pick a food source to hunt on. I just want to know that there's lots of food around because that means that the deer are probably going to be moving around that area and, and potentially give me a chance at them. So tell me this. Um in the type of places that y'all are hunting it's it's got low i guess not you don't have destination food sources a lot of i i I would imagine y'all have some like live oaks or or something like that you know that y'all are hunting do you find that these deer um don't that they don't stay in one area for a real long time because they're constantly moving trying to find the food because it is so scarce so i just wanted to add to uh what mark was talking about is um although like in a lot of other states it seems like they they do put these food sources on um the management areas whereas florida you don't typically see that 
until you get to Northern Florida. Um, there's some management areas in Northern Florida that they do actually maintain some food plots and stuff like that. And they feed, they feed the deer through their, through their food plots. Um, but down here in South Florida, you don't see that very, very common. Um, and the deers are really, like Mark said, they'll eat anything. They, you know, in one area, they'll be munching out on goldberries. And then you go a, a little further out and they'll be, as soon as the acorns are dropping, they, they start eating those. And believe it or not, those palmettos, they got palmetto berries. It's actually a big thing down here in South Florida for people to pick palmetto berries. Well, I shot a, port, uh, a, a buck in one of these management areas that was loaded with palmettos. I was sitting on exactly that, a palmetto flat. And guess what he was full of? Palmetto berries. <laughs> so they'll eat a little bit of everything. We have um, cocoa plum. When the cocoa plum starts blooming, they eat those persimmon trees. They'll eat all the little fruits off persimmons. So it really depends on what, what's actually available at the time. And even if you go and sit on a whole patch of persimmon trees, doesn't mean you're going to get a, a bunch of bucks or a bunch of does, you know, because it's, it's green everywhere. everywhere. It's, it's green everywhere. everywhere. So it's, it's really hard to say, okay, I have this, uh, this cornfield, you know, we don't, we don't have those cornfields here. So it's really um, where they feel safe and where they're typically moving through is what we, we really focus on. Um, the food is second to all that. So I guess, I guess to kind of answer that previous question, you're saying like, it's not like the, the, no, <laughs> the, the, I think the answer is no. They, um, they don't, they, they, they're just not as picky about their food sources. They, yeah. They're, they're not, at all. they're not like, um, nomadic. Uh, we do find that hogs tend to be pretty nomadic on our lands. Sure. They kind of, you know, they root up an area and then they move off to another area and root yeah. that up. But the deer, uh, you know, I think they find an area that they're really comfortable. They feel safe uh, that they, you know, have escape routes to get to the thicket if if they see something coming. And and as long as there's food around, it doesn't have to be like the best food in the world. As long as there's food around, they'll, they'll stay there because there's always something for them to eat. And I think that they prioritize safety over, uh, you know, over the quality of food. You, uh, and I think that's true anywhere. Are y'all hunting areas that are like dog hunting areas? Is that is that legal where y'all are? Yeah, there? there's a lot of places where we hunt, and and yep. you know you're sitting in your tree stand, and then it's like, oh, I hear dogs. Get ready, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do Do you find that that is uh, helps you, or I I would so I guess just to preface this the question, in my experience hunting Florida, uh, I felt like I was able to a little more easily find where a good population, a good deer pocket was because it had less tire tracks. Let you could tell just people were not putting their dogs through there. Does it, do you feel like the, the presence of dog hunters helps you like narrow down an area to hunt? Um, I don't, I don't go off that at all. Really. I don't, I don't run into enough dog hunters to make it a thing. The deer don't really seem to care that much around here. Um, and, you know, like, I think what we've found a lot of times is you can have a spot where there's a ton of traffic, people driving by with their, you know, their their dogs barking on their swamp buggies and whatever. And and, and you're just a couple hundred yards away from that. And, and they'll drive right on by. And the deer have heard those, you know, 
people just driving right on by a gazillion times. Mm-hmm. So they don't pay any mind to it. So a lot of times those pockets of like, uh, you know, overlooked spots can be just a couple hundred yards away from a spot that gets, you know, stomped to the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we, we do tend to find that like uh, people tend to make the deer a little bit more predictable in a way um you know when if you know there's a certain trail that people use a lot uh when they walk out uh you know they're heading out far um a lot of times we found you know the deer will come and use that trail like an hour later because they know they're like yeah a bunch of people are going to walk by here right before the sun comes up and then it's safe for the next 10 hours you know and so you know the the best advice that I feel like I can offer anybody trying to get into hunting in Florida is just don't do what other people do. You know, um, finding an overlooked spot doesn't have to, it doesn't have to mean that you have to walk miles out to get to a spot that somebody hasn't been to yet. And it just, it just means do something different than other people because the deer learn our patterns way before we learn theirs. Yeah. So if you get outside of that pattern, there's a good chance you know, that you'll see, that you'll see something cruising by and it doesn't necessarily have to be really hard to get to. Yeah. So tell me, uh, y'all are right now in archery season. When does, when does rifle season open up? <laughs> Depends what part of the state. Right. Well, yeah. So where y'all are at specifically in that South Florida area? I'm going to say uh, mid, mid-October. Well, general gun, first you'll get muzzleloader and then like muzzleloader will open up, um, I think in some places, the first late September, I think the first general gun hunt in some places is late. Yeah. Late September already. So September, mid September even. So, but what we, we tend to do, we really like bow hunting. So we tend to try and make our bow season last as long as possible. So as bow season opens up, you know, in the different zones, we kind of try to chase that around and then eventually it gets too far to drive. And then we're like, all right, let's go home and hunt with a gun. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now, uh, your gun season, like, like we talked about, you know, you could have potentially deer running all, all your, your whole season. Um, when you, when you go into gun season, um, do, do y'all see like a noticeable increase in pressure, uh, on your public lands? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And and it also depends, you know, we actually have a funny little rut towards like the middle of gun season out of nowhere. We'll get like a a secondary rut. Yeah, (laughs) It's actually, it's actually pretty interesting because you'll have um, some of the deers down in South Florida will actually be dropping their antlers and you'll have a few of them still kicking into rut. That's so weird. Um, It's very bizarre. Very strange. But yeah, I mean, I think that gun hunting uh, historically has just been like a really big part of of Florida's hunting culture. You know, there, yeah. there's a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of dog hunting, there's a lot of swamp buggy hunting, airboat hunting, and and a lot of that stuff. You, it's really hard to do that with a bow. So bow season tends to be relatively timid, um, but once gun season opens up, that's usually when dog season opens up and and things get wild. Yeah, and honestly, yeah. like we kind of enjoy those, especially those opening weekends of the gun seasons, because the deer don't know what the hell is going on. And you could be sitting, if you find a good pinch point, 
you could see a buck come by that you've never seen before in that area. And you don't yeah. have, you have cameras all over the place. You've never seen this buck. And he just ran a mile from, you know, some buggy that scared the crap out of him, And then he comes running by your stand. So, so those hunts can be really fun. You have a gun in your hand, you can make a quick shot. And, um, you know, we, we just try and make the best of whatever situation is presented. And that's one of the cool things about public land is like, you, you kind of have to adapt to what's happening. You, you don't get to choose how it's going to go down and that keeps yeah. it dynamic. It keeps it fun. That's awesome. It's cool. It's refreshing to talk to you guys. Uh, kind of no, no excuses. You know, you're not sitting around whining about living in South Florida, going out, making it happen, grinding it out. And, uh, and even having some new experiences along the way, going to other States. That's very refreshing to hear. I think one of the things that, um, I think originally when I started the podcast, I, I, I kind of tended this way and the longer I've been doing it, the more I, it pisses me off when I hear it is when I hear people say, man, I just, I, I would way rather live out in, in Iowa. Those Iowa guys don't know how good they got it. And I, I'm, I'm, of the, right. I'm of the opinion that if you, if God puts you in a certain part of the country, then it's your, and you want to hunt you learn how to do it there just learn how to do it in your home and it sounds like y'all are y'all are doing that y'all are very much so like up to the challenge of figuring this thing out and uh and i'm super jacked for y'all and everything that you got going on um talk about your content for a little bit uh for just a few minutes before we close out i know you said y'all got some new videos that are going to come out shortly yeah yeah we had a pretty amazing opening weekend uh which uh, we're not going to give away too much about it, but there's some pretty cool content coming out. We uh, we finally got into the ground hunting a little bit, so we got uh, a couple cameramen to follow us around, which we've never really had the ability to do, but we did it uh, just a couple weeks ago, and it was awesome. Uh, just so much fun. And um, yeah, I mean, we, there's going to be a lot of content coming out. We've actually brought a couple of guys on uh, that are filming their hunts. Uh, you know, with the channel now. So, so we've got potentially more content coming with that as well. And, um, you know, we were just starting off like it, it, the season's about to get rolling. It's going to be a lot of great content coming soon. And uh, we've been talking about doing some, some cool events coming up soon. Uh, I don't want to give too much away, but I'm going to put ourselves on the hook for this one. We're, we're going to be doing one of those teaching train events with tethered. I'm saying it out loud now, so it has to happen. Um, but we're going to be doing that. A lot of people are always asking about saddle hunting, you know, like they're kind of, like you said earlier, they're kind of iffy about whether they want to make the switch. They're kind of, maybe they have too much pride. They want to stay with their, their climbers, but this way they can come out, they can try like a bunch of different saddles. They can try a bunch of different climbing methods and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, there's going to be events coming up, lots of content. Um, hopefully we can get a couple more podcasts in with some other people and, uh, just yeah, what else we got going on, Danny? Just don't go on with Walt again. He doesn't need it. He's <laughs> we've been trying to get on with him, but it's you know it's it's been hectic. We're in the middle of the season already, so it's priorities, tough. man. You got yeah. I know. I know what happened. You're like, man, Walt. We'd love to go on you, but we'd rather go on with Parker. So we're gonna take advantage of that. <laughs> <laughs> I listen. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great talking with yeah. someone new, you know. And uh, I mean, it, we love the Chasing Tales podcast, and we're definitely. Uh, you know, going to try and get on with him again but it is great getting on with you and, absolutely um 
Yeah, what, watch the trip. He, he's he's, he's really good people. This, oh, yeah. this was definitely an awesome podcast awesome. to be on. And uh, aside from um, all the cool content, we have a lot of new, different kind of content because um, we've actually brought in brought on some camera guys. So you're going to get a different view. Whereas on our earlier videos, you know, we were self self filming and stuff. So it's going to give us a you know a little bit different of a, I guess a, more of a whole Better story because. If you've ever uh, tried self-filming, it's really difficult to get those parts. You got to set the camera down and really, you know, talk to the camera and stuff. But with a second person there, you know, it feels way more natural. Yeah, for sure. You can, you're actually talking to somebody. So you're talking straight to the viewers. So that we're, we're going to be getting a lot of that going on. Can we, um, can we plug our giveaway? Is that allowed? Yeah, you plug whatever you want. Okay, Listen. so uh, if anybody's listening and you're thinking about getting into the saddle game, we're actually going to be giving away a, a tethered saddle and a platform. So the whole the whole kit, uh, you can pick whatever saddle, whatever platform you want. If you win, it's totally free. So uh, just go find one of our latest videos. There'll be a link down in the description. And, uh, yeah, just sign up for it and uh, just follow the prompts there. And um, I think we'll be announcing the winner for that in uh, just a few weeks, sometime in September. I don't remember the exact date. Sweet. But. Fantastic. Well, guys, thanks again for coming on the show, and uh, I hope that I get on Instagram this weekend and I see a couple dead bucks from you guys. So I hope so, trying. too, man. <laughs> I really gonna, hope so, too. <laughs> y'all are going to crush it. It's going to happen one way or the other. Y'all are going to make it yeah. happen. I believe that. So thanks again, yeah. guys, for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having us on, man. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. As always, a big shout out to all of our partners. That's Go Wild, Spartan Forge, Tethered, New Canoe, and Scree Gear. You can keep up with Southern Ground Hunting by following us on Facebook and Instagram, or you can subscribe to us on the YouTube channel. Make sure you check out southerngroundhunting.com to pick up some of our merch, hats, t-shirts, stickers, stuff like that. I truly hope you enjoyed this week's episode, and we'll see you here again next week. Remember this, God gave you dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. So go out and exercise that dominion. We'll talk to you next time.